is, no matter what I do, it will not get worse than that one video that we just saw. Well, I am pleased to get to come and visit with you all today, and obviously, as a father, with the heart of a father, I'm going to bring to you what I think might be some truths based on some scripture that could have a profound impact on your life, not because of me, but because of the Word, and hopefully that'll make a difference going forward. But let's not start there. Back in the mid-90s, there was kind of a resurgence in marathons and in the popularity of marathons. And in particular, what made the big news at that time was that Oprah was going to run a marathon. Well, knowing that Oprah was going to run a marathon, I thought, man, I was, I'd been all this and all that in a couple of sports. I'm a, I'm a decent athlete. Maybe I should run a marathon too. So, so that's what I decided to do. I decided I'm going to run. Oprah can run a marathon. I can run a marathon. So so back in 94, this is obviously before you were born, Jan and I had just been married. We were living in Dallas. During that time, we moved to Temple, and so I went to the library, got a book, you know, made a few copies on how to train for a marathon. But between moving to Temple, a new job, being newly married, there were actually some things about my training that might have been a little hit and miss. But, you know, I thought if Oprah can do this, I can do it. So I set about to, to you know, prepare for this marathon. Well, admittedly, you know, my preparation leaves something to be desired. And so, you know, the time runs around or comes around. And so I signed up for the Dallas White Rock Marathon, which is in December of that particular year. So Jan and I get up on a Sunday morning. We pack the car. We head to Dallas. I'd signed up. I'm going to run the Dallas White Rock Marathon. Well, all right, I line up. I got my shorts on. I'm ready to go. And, man, I, I am feeling good for the first five, six, even ten miles. So good, in fact, that I thought, you know, look at these wusses drinking water and Gatorade. I don't, I'm feeling good. I don't need that. And so time rocks along. I'm feeling good. About mile 13, I'm going, I'm just halfway there because a marathon is 26.2 miles, for those of you who don't know. So at mile 13, I'm feeling it a little bit, and I think I better start drinking some Gatorade or some water. Well, by mile 16, Things are getting a little rough, okay? By mile 20, which they call the wall, I feel as if there are demons stabbing my legs with invisible ice picks. It is major agony. In fact, my wife, Jana, had been going around and at different checkpoints. You could see how your runner was doing. Well, at mile 20, she finds me flat on my back, some lady rubbing my legs down with Ben Gay. That's how good things were going, but, but I'm not a quitter. I'm thinking, you know, if Oprah can do this, I can do it, so I keep going. And so, but as you can imagine, the last 6.2 miles, now I smell like Ben Gay. And I'll never forget this. At mile 23, this woman goes, you can do it. And I wanted to say, yeah, I can do this too, but I, I didn't have the strength to do that. Anyway, I finish, finish, I complete the marathon and, and suffice it to say, it was overall pretty well a disaster. In fact, you have not lost a race until you have lost a race to Oprah. Oprah ran a better time than I did at that marathon. And let me just tell you guys, that'll mess with your manhood, losing to Oprah. Well, you know, the truth of it is there's a lot we can learn from running a race, or in particular, a marathon. And a marathon is a great great metaphor for life because you know what it's long and you hopefully have a long life it's got ups it's got downs it's fun it's it's um, exciting to some degree you're doing it with people there's this kind of energy 
but it's hard and it can be very painful. And here's the key. How you prepare, how you train for that marathon, and in fact, how you run it, if you're assuming you run it wisely, makes a significant difference in how well the race goes. Would you agree with me on that? Yes. Okay, well, that is why it is such a wonderful metaphor for life, and I am not the only one that thinks so. Let's turn, if you will, you've got a hand out there, and the last page has all the verses you need. See, I've done that for you. I have all the verses you need, and what was interesting is I went through and I pulled all the verses pertaining to race, and those are there for you. So first of all, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. There we go. So race is a metaphor for life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. That's right. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, key in on that. No, and I do not fight like a boxer, buff, you know, aimlessly punching the air. No, I buffet my body. I make it my slave lest after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Great, powerful message. And so that is one of the key emphasis that we want to look at today. So why, why based on this scripture, did I lose to Oprah? Why is it? One, I will assure you that it is because I ran aimlessly. I ran and trained for that race aimlessly. I did not follow a plan. I was not deliberate. I was not committed. I didn't have a goal in mind. I, I approached the Dallas White Rock Marathon, 1994, in a very aimless manner. Are you scared anybody? I'm not following. Um, so I approached it aimlessly. That is not how we should approach life. We need to approach life with an aim. All right, next slide. So we are going to live with aim. Aim is not a word we use a lot, and yet Paul is talking to us here. He says, don't run, don't live aimlessly. So let's look at what that means, to run with aim. That means to have a purpose. To, in fact, the verb form of aim, we'll get to that in a minute, means to actually aim. You aim at a target. But let's stop for a moment. Why is this, if this is the one lesson that I would bring to you all, why do I think this is so important? One is because of the stage of life that you all are at. I mean, you truly are at the beginning. You are in the starting blocks, if you will. You are on the launch pad, and the decisions you make right now have a dramatic impact on the way your race is going to go. They have a dramatic impact on the trajectory of your life. And so that's why I want to present to you today the biblical principle of running, of living your life on purpose, with an aim, seeking God, and what does that look like? Because the decisions you're making right now have far-reaching implications, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. The other thing is, have you ever heard the saying, youth is wasted on the young? Okay, well, now you've heard it. Piece of crap. I'm the comedian up here, okay? Um, youth is wasted on the young. The reason there's that saying is because so often people, when they're young, don't realize what a gift it is. Your youth is an incredible gift. There's nothing you have done, no in, nothing you have encountered that can't be righted. 
that God can't use in his grand design. And so your youth is a phenomenal opportunity that you have as you approach the race that you're running. So 1 Corinthians 9 tells us do not run aimlessly. Let's look at that definition then. Okay, aim, verb, to point or direct, a weapon. You aim at something, right? We use it, I'm going to aim the camera at you. I'm going to aim at the deer or the dove or whatever the case may be. The noun form is a purpose or intention, a desired outcome. So to be aimless is to be without direction, to be without purpose, to be without meaning. Now, let's go to the author of Hebrews and, and add to this metaphor of race and see what the author of Hebrews has. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, look at that. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us what? Run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So the first thing I want us to look at if we're to run and live our lives with aim is the verb aspect of that is to aim. What do you aim your eyes at? What do you aim your life toward? What does, what does Hebrews here tell us? Fix would be another word for aim, right? What do we need to fix our eyes on? What do we need to aim at? I'm asking. Jesus. It's always Jesus. It never gets beyond Jesus. It never gets greater than Jesus. Your life never has a bigger aim than Jesus. Okay? So regardless of what you hear, what you take away from today, you have got to fix your eyes on Jesus. You've got to aim your life at Jesus, and you will not go wrong there. There is no greater, deeper truth than that for purposes of your life. Okay? So we learn from Hebrews that if we're to run a, a race with aim and not do it aimlessly, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And we do that by being a disciple, to, of being a student of Jesus. And we'll touch on that a little bit more. Let's talk about the noun form of aim. It's a purpose or intention. So if we are not to live aimless lives, we must approach them with purpose with intention, with a method for, for being active and not passive in the way we do that. Okay, if we're at a run with aim, how do we do that? How do we run with aim? Well, let's go back to my marathon example, okay? I've done some running and some living since the 1994 Dallas White Rock Marathon, and I've learned a few things. I am, if nothing not else, I am teachable. My wife will tell you that. I'm at least a teachable kind of guy. So I thought, well, hey, I, I enjoy running. I think I could be a better runner. And so I, I thought, well, let's, let's fast forward a few years to this coming February. And my wife, in the meantime, has become quite a runner. So we sign up for the Austin Marathon. Well, and we decide, let's, how are we going to approach the Austin Marathon? Well, one, we go to the experts and we say, hey, how should we approach the marathon? Well, they have plans out there. So we follow a plan. We put it on the mirror. If the plan says run Four miles on Tuesday, we run four miles on Tuesday. If the long run on Saturday is 17, we get up, we run 17 on Saturday. If it's cold on, on Thursday and it's 32 degrees, but it tells me I've got to run seven, what do I do? Yeah, I put on a bunch of goofy gear and I go run seven miles. I follow my plan. I'm very methodical about it. I'm running with aim. Well, more than that, I, I will tell you this, there's a whole other metaphor for marriage. But I didn't do it alone. I had somebody to encourage, to kind of go through it with me, to hold me accountable and me to hold her accountable. The other thing that I did to run with AIM is 
that when I approached the race, I thought, man, people smarter than I have given me some good ideas on how to actually run the race. Did I go 10 miles without water? No. Mile one, I drank a little water. Mile two, I drank a little Gatorade. Mile 10, I had one of those goo packs. I mean, we ran the race much smarter. I didn't start off real fast because I thought, man, I know I can't run, you know, 26.2 miles at a seven-minute pace. So my wife and I had the pace that we wanted to run. So we just kept watching that. We ran that pace. We ran the race wisely. Well, it worked out a little better. Here's a picture. We did it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's Jan and I crossing the finish line. My prayer the whole time is, dear Lord, just let me finish with her. I'd already been beat by Oprah. I've been beat by Jan a lot of times. I didn't want didn't to lose this time. Anyway, we, we finished at the exact same time, so we did it. We followed a plan. That, you, can, you can take that. Go to the next slide. There you go. We'll come to this slide in a minute. But we followed a plan. We ran with aim, and the experience was entirely different. One of the highlights of my life, frankly, and bring on Oprah, right? Whatever happened to Oprah anyway? What's she been doing? Um, so the point of it is, you know, the preparation, the training, the approach, doing it with a method made all the difference in how we ran the race. And that's obviously what we're trying to do today. So the first thing I want us to then look at, kind of going from how we run with AIM, is the concept of vision. Go to the, it should be a vision slide. There we go, vision. Here I'm trying to get to the point that God is trying to impart upon us that we need to have a vision for our life. What is John 10, 10? It says that he has come that we might have life and have it what? Abundantly. I mean, you are loved by God. You need to have a vision that in God's great world, he has got a purpose for you. You have to have that vision for your life. I love this C.S. Lewis quote. Go to that. Who likes C.S. Lewis? I love C.S. Lewis. Google the weight of glory. It's a, it's a great um, reading that he has or that he came up with. And he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our, desi- our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like ignorant ch- an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what we are meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. What C.S. Lewis is saying there is the Lord has offered you everything. Everything that God has, everything that I have a father, Emma has. I would hold nothing back from her, my other children as well. Everything that God the Father has for us, is he, he has offered to us. All the promises of Scripture are there. All the love, all the support, walking with us through life is there. We need not be half-hearted creatures messing around with stuff that would hold us back from a vision of what God wants for us. Don't be so easily pleased. So that's one thing that I want you to take away is have a vision for your life. You are not too young to have a vision for what God wants to do in and through you in this world that he created for us. You've got to have that. And I'll give you a quick illustration of even in my own life having a vision. I can distinctly remember where I was my junior year. I was driving on, down Herring Avenue across from the Methodist home in Waco where I grew up, and I, really, I, was, I was really praying to God, God, give me a vision of what you want me to have in a wife and what you want me to have in a marriage and what you want me to have in a family. You say, well, that's, boy, that's kind of ahead of your time for being a junior in high school. Maybe it was, 
But at the time in my life, I was not having that modeled to me. Loving my parents to death, a lot of healing there. But at that time in my life, it was not being modeled to me. And I distinctly remember God giving me a vision of what I wanted. I don't mean, you know, blonde and leggy, though that happened to work out. Anyway, I'm sorry. Sorry, Janet, I had to go there. But I had a vision of what God wanted me to have in a woman. One of the things he said is, Mark, stop worrying about having the right person. You worry about being the right person. He gave me a vision of what he wanted me to be as a father. I knew it would happen. Sorry, I get a little emotional. You know, he gave me a vision of what he wanted me to be as a father. What he wanted my family to be like. And guys and girls, that vision, excuse me, got me through some rough spots. I mean, high school, college, opportunities that I had, and I was not perfect. But having that vision of what God had intended for me helped me make prudent decisions. And I will tell you, if you know my wife and family, he far exceeded any vision I had. Mm, I think that's the only emotion I've got. Yeah, let me look through here. Yeah, that's all right. That's it. No more emotion. But I'm telling you, I, you've got to grab hold and own that God has a vision for you. And there's a wonderful principle here, and it's called beginning with the end in mind. Beginning with the end in mind. You need to have a vision of what's your legacy going to be. You're not too young to start thinking about that. What do you want people to say about you when it's all said and done? You know, begin. You are at the beginning. You are in the, the, the start of the race. Begin that race with an end in mind. What do you want people to say about you at the end? Paul said it like this in the book of Acts. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul had a vision for what he wanted in life. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says it like this. Not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All right, do we have the video? Let's see what Toby Mac can maybe help us with here. Turn it up. Hey. 
about Toby Mac. He's older than I am. Did you know that? I could have been a rapper. Man, I, just, man, I tell you what, I love Toby Mac. The next idea is that of training. Okay, if we need to have a vision, if we're going to run with aim, well, we need to incorporate training in our lives, right? And we're not talking about just a race. I mean, obviously, that's important. You're doing two-a-days now and whatever your sport might be. We're talking about training. Physical training is good, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.8. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. All right, let me, let's look at this, training, how important that might be. I grew up, and I was a big baseball fan, and I was a hind catcher, or catcher, and Johnny Bench of the Cincinnati Reds was my idol. So let's, let's extrapolate that for a moment. Let's say that I wanted to be a catcher just like Johnny Bench. Well, I could, you know, I could get his number, right? I could get a Cincinnati Reds hat. I could put on the gear, and I could, I could do everything that Johnny Bench had. In fact, you know, I could get his card, his baseball card, and learn all the stuff I need to know about Johnny Bench. But when I strap on the gear, does that necessarily mean I'm going to play like Johnny Bench? No, that's ridiculous. I can't just strap on the gear, put on his jersey, and, and go out there and and, and, and play baseball like Johnny Bench? That's ridiculous, would it not be? Well, what if in my life I'm trying to be like Christ? Does it make it, you know, how am I going to be like Christ? Can I just call myself a Christian? Can I read the Bible a little bit, show up here at church, do a few things here and there, and then expect in the moment of testing to act like Christ? Oh, wait a minute, I got a little thing. It says, what would Jesus do? I'm going through a tough spot. What would Jesus do? I don't know what would Jesus do because you know what? I haven't trained to be like Christ. In your hand out there, there's, a, there's some information on spiritual disciplines. Boy, is that sexy or what? Spiritual disciplines. But folks, if Jesus thought it was important to pray, by golly, I need to pray. If Jesus himself thought it was important to learn scripture, man, I need to incorporate that into my life. If Jesus from time to time fasted because he knew that that the Word of God is stronger than, the, than the, you know, the fasting for food. Maybe I need to incorporate that discipline in my life. Maybe I need to take worship seriously when I attend worship on Sunday mornings. Maybe I need to focus in on, on the audience of one that's God. Maybe I need to be involved in service. 
In other words, if in the time of testing I want to be like Christ, I need to enter into a life of training that will help me be like Christ. To not do so is as ridiculous as me deciding to play like Johnny Bench or RG3 or Michael Jordan or whatever the case may be. You, you follow me on that? Say amen. Oh, that just feels good. Okay, thank you. So we have got to enter into a life of training. The next thing is we've got to throw off sin. Hebrews 1 and 2 says, hey, throw off sin and everything that entangles you. I'm sorry to tell you, sin is just not a whole lot of fun to talk about. But clearly it's something that's pretty serious to God. And if you have got things in your life that are habitual sin, let me tell you, folks, it will never, hear me, it will never be easier to deal with that than right now. You go to college, you get into adulthood, habitual sin can become so entrenched, it is very difficult to gain victory in that without some pretty drastic things the Lord does in your life. So why not now, if you're dealing with some things that are troubling, some habitual types of sin, deal with that now. Get with God. Get with godly people and deal with it now. Well, it says not just, don't, don't just throw off sin. It says throw off everything else that hinders. What's that? Everything else that hinders? Well, let's talk about what that may be. Maybe that's unforgiveness. Maybe that's bitterness. Maybe you're just too into video games. Maybe you're too much a believer. I don't know. Anyway, maybe it's not him. Maybe they're just things that are not necessarily sin, but they are keeping you back. They are holding you down from being everything that God intended for you to be. So you've got to throw off those things, and it will never get easier than right now. Next thing is, is never give up. You've got to persevere. You cannot microwave maturity. Romans 5, 3 through 4 says, Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Life will, you know, the race, the metaphor is tough at times, but you've got to let those tough times, they'll thicken your skin, but don't let them harden your heart. Okay? You've got to never give up. In fact, we heard this recently. I love this quote. If quit is in your vocabulary, finish probably isn't. Do not be a quitter. This is a marathon that we're in. You've got to persevere. Okay, who's ever heard of Vince Lombardi? Oh, man, not many. Vince Lombardi, Calvin, raise your hand. Vince Lombardi was the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers. And I've got this quote on my bookshelf at my office. Go ahead and put that up there. Vince Lombardi said it this way. He says, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfillment of all he holds dear, is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle victorious. You know why I like that? Because it's got grit. You know, I mean, it's, it's got texture to it. It's got sweat. It's got blood. I mean, the victories in life, they don't come easy, and the ones that do, you don't value so persevere, learn how to never quit. This is not about football, and actually even winning is not the point. Winning has nothing to do with it. We win when we believe in Christ. God takes care of the victories, whatever those may be. But never give up, always persevere. We've got a moment, so let me touch on this. I know within a group of this size, many of you have been through tough times. I mean, ridiculously hard times. You've been wronged, you've been harmed. 
you've been mistreated, and I don't want to do anything to take away from that. I don't want to minimize that at all. But one of the things I do want to point out is that at this point in your life, you need to make a decision on how you're going to respond to that. Are you going to let bitterness and unforgiveness be the telltale sign of your life? Are you going to let God, through His Spirit, make you a person of grace and mercy? I heard a saying one time that I like a lot, hurt people hurt people. I'm not making excuses for what you've been through, but the problem is you've now got to decide how you are going to respond to that. You may have been through things that are unfair, but how are you going to respond to that? In my profession, I deal so often with people who are at the end of their lives and they're just eat up with bitterness. There's a saying that says, bitterness is the poisonous pill you swallow hoping somebody else dies. So what I would challenge you today is you let God, through His Holy Spirit, help you be a person of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Because that is not one of those things that you want to carry around throughout your life. You want to throw that away along with the sin so that it doesn't hinder you. That's all I'll say about that. History will tell us that Abraham Lincoln, when he was in the White House on Wednesday evenings, would attend the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church Bible Study. And a guy named Fins Gurley led the Bible study. Well, as you can imagine, you know, you know, the president showing up at your Wednesday night Bible study might cause a stir. And so, stir. And so what Fins Gurley would do is he would open up his study and, and sit in there and hear and be able to hear the teaching that Fins Gurley said. And so one night he was doing that, and on the way home, his aide said, well, what did you think about Dr. Gurley's message? And as you can imagine, President Lincoln very thoughtfully said, well, his content was good, he was well-prepared, and he was very eloquent. And so the aide said, well, so clearly you thought it was a good message. And President Lincoln said, no, I didn't say that. And the aide said, well, you said it was eloquent, well-prepared, and, and delivered in, in, in good context. He said, no, the one, but he didn't do the one thing that he should have done. And he said, what's that? And he said, he should have asked us to do something great. He should have asked us to do something great. And that's what the next thing is. Don't be just hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. And I don't mean great according to the world's, you know, barometer. I mean great in the eyes of God. I, I think sometimes we're not challenged enough. I challenge you young people to, to do something great with your life. I look around this room and I see such potential. And I know what many of you are already doing is great. But think about how Central Texas could be impacted if you determine right now at, this, at the eve of your school year that you're going to do something not only great with your life, but great with this school year. Who in your school needs a friend? You be that friend. Who in your school needs encouragement? You be the one encouraging. I mean, maybe you've hurt somebody's feelings. You be the one to repair the breach. You be the one to go do something great. I love the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, where you know the, what it is. You know, the, the man leaves and he gives one servant five talents and he gives one servant two talents and one servant one talent. The one with five goes out and, and, and gets five more and the one with two goes out and gets two more. And, and what does the, the master say to the one with the five servant, uh, talents and the one with the two? He says, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? Well, you know, I have this vision at the end of my life that it's not that I just enter into glory and God says, well done. I have this vision that I'm just 
that I'm, I'm like, you know, Michael Jordan in a game and sweat dripping off of me, you know, blood flowing down, you know, my brow, perhaps I'm out of breath. I want to leave this life having left it all on the field, all on the court. I don't want to hold anything back. I want God to look at that and go, well done. Man, was that not fun to watch? You know, this cloud of witnesses that we had. Man, what he, how the love he, he gave, how he didn't hold anything back, the grit that he had. And I'm going, well, I just need to catch my breath. You know, I mean, you need to have a vision of how you want your life to end. Do something great with your life. I'm not saying cure cancer, but just allow God to work in and through you, and you will do great things with life. Maybe it's Andrew. Man, Andrew, good job. Daniel, Jay, Emma, you know, all this group. Sorry, I'm picking it. <laughs> I got your attention, though, didn't I? But don't you want to hear God say, well done. Man, good job. Wasn't that fun to watch? Do something great with your life. Obviously not worldly success. And what might help us do things that are great? One is be teachable. Be teachable. Be curious. Be forgiving. Be gracious. Be merciful. Be a student of the Bible. Be a prayer. And I had a nana. She was a prayer. You got on her prayer list, you never got off. I, I, I firmly believe this side of glory. I will never know the impact that her prayers have had on, the, on her family. You be a prayer. Be hardworking. You know, like I said earlier, be the right person before you start worrying about finding the right person. All right. Let's go back a little bit. Let's say that you're about nine. And... It's Friday night. You know, your parents aren't letting you watch videos. And so they might let you play a game. What game might you play that involves money? Monopoly, right? Well, I happen to have a Monopoly board. So, so help me with this. So if, if life is a race, it's something that we need to tackle, Man, you know, I'm going to tell you that, man, when I was nine, I liked playing Monopoly. There you go. There's the board. So, so let's say that on this particular night, I happen to be doing real well. Man, I mean, look at this. Oh, goodness. Let's say that I've got, what do you always want? You want Boardwalk, right? So I've got Boardwalk, Park Place. I've got the B&O Railroad. I've even got Marvin Gardens. I've got, oh, I got, I inherit $100. There you go. So the game's going pretty well. I get to advance to go, collect $200. But, oh, I got, I got second prize in the beauty contest. Man, there you go. Thank you very much. Oh, and the all-important get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Got to have that. Oh, but I also got, if I pass go, I get $200, and I get out of jail free. And, oh, by the way, you know, I've worked real hard. I've stayed real hard, and I got elected chairman of the board. So I've done pretty well for myself, right? And you know what is nice is that, man, I've been collecting hotels. Woo! And my sister, Lisa, she's not getting anything. I love beating Lisa at Monopoly. Oh, and, and, and so, you know, I'm collecting all these hotels and all these houses and all this great stuff that helps me 
do very well in Monopoly, right? Man, I need, I think I need another house. Oh, and by the way, what, you know, you get to pick what you are. I always like to be in the cowboy, so I'm the cowboy on the game. Cowboy. And you know what? I'm not messing around with little money. I got big money, 500. So let's say I've got a bunch of money. And where do you keep your money? Always under the board, because you don't want everybody else to know how much money you got. Oh, these are fives. I don't want fives. Where are my hundreds? There you go. So, man, I'm working hard. The game is going really well. I've got lots of money in this game. So, finally, man, my sister Lisa, she's hating every minute of it. The game is going my way. And then what does my mom do? She looks at her watch. Mark, it's getting a little late. <laughs> Wait. No, no, no. It's not getting too late. I'm doing so well. I'm winning the game, right? It's going my way. It's going, I'm getting everything I ever wanted here in the game. And then what does my dad do? He says, no, your mom's right. It's time to go to bed. And he folds up the board and he dumps it all back in. Mark, the game's over. You know where I'm going with this. Your life is a game. You have burnt up. And you've got to make a decision. Are you going to accumulate stuff? Are you going to accumulate people for the kingdom? Because someday, God the Father is going to look down on the game that says, Mark Whitaker. And I'm going to say, man, God, no. I'm doing real well. Look at what I've accumulated. Look at what I've invested in. Man, the game is going my way. And God the Father is going to say, Mark, it's time. The game's over. You know what he's going to do? He's going to pick up the game board. It's the life of Mark Whitaker. He's going, and it's all going to go back in the box. Another game, somebody else. All the stuff goes back in the box. What doesn't go back in the box? My wife, my other children, don't go back in the box. I don't go back in the box. The things that we have invested in for eternity don't go back in the box. They go on in God's good world for eternity. Who we become, who we are, how we run that race, the things we invest in don't go back in the box. So maybe if nothing else, you'll remember from when Emma's dad taught Sunday school, bald, <laughs> gets a little emotional. Maybe if nothing else, you'll remember, how are you going to run this race? What are you going to invest in? Because it is the perfect time for you all to decide.
don't let another day, another year, another 10 years go by without you evaluating what it is that God wants to do in and through you. Otherwise, you'll look up and time will go by and your game will be over and you will not have invested in things that have eternal impact. You've got there on your, pay, on your table some questions. I don't know. I think we've got a little bit of time for you to discuss. Some of those questions have to do with how do you see people in your own circumstance running aimlessly? How can you avoid running aimlessly? But before we do that, let me close this in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for these young men and women. I thank you for what you are doing in their lives. I thank you that you have given us all we ever need because of your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord, I pray that we would be people who lived our lives with an aim, that we would not run our race aimlessly, and that your Holy Spirit would do great and mighty things in this group. Amen. All right, thank you.